Uh, hello, welcome to the Cause and Effect podcast. I'm your host, Leo Jacobs. Today is February the 2nd, 2022. I'm coming to you from St. Charles, Missouri, and it's like, I say, 59 degrees outside. You know, I usually, I want to switch up the flow of the podcast. We usually talk about the uh, housing market, but I wanted to touch on the uh, wealth gap between your average African-American and, you know, white Americans. So, this podcast basically going to revolve around its main topic or question on did sharecropping seed the root of generational debt within African-American communities by entrenching itself deeper into pre-existing financial oppression? In simpler words, or to be more straightforward, did sharecropping cause generational debt? So, sharecropping was the child of the Reconstruction Era, but before we touch sharecropping, we got to touch on what the Reconstruction Era was, and was it a fail? Well, it's hard to tell as a whole what the uh, if the Reconstruction Era was a fail, but it was America's shot at reintegrating two ideologically, economically, and politically dissimilar groups back together, the South and the North. But, economically, did it fail? Like any big institution, I say yes. Mainly because within uh, deeply rooted southern states like uh, Arkansas, Tennessee, South Carolina, they are still way much poorer than their northern counterparts today. You know, their housing, everything's just cheap down there. The South, and that's mainly because the uh, South was an economy built on cheap human labor, and an alternate solution to that at the time was sharecropping. So, to define sharecropping, in my own words, uh, sharecropping is parcels of a plantation, basically the plantations that you know the white landowners can no, no, uh, no longer have were divided up to the poor, usually black families, to farm or harvest. But there's a catch to that. The black people who was on the uh, plantations or farm the harvest had to pay a portion, usually a crippling portion, of their crop earnings back to the landowner at the end of the harvest. Meaning that they were getting taxed hard, man. I mean, taxed hard to live there. Like, and if it was a drought or something, you would be in way more debt. So it was a tough and mighty situation. And that's why I feel that uh, sharecropping replaced outright slavery as the means by which the southern economy continued to be powered by human capital and breaking the backs of the lower caste members. And while doing research on this uh, project and podcast, I found a nice little statistic published by the uh, Library of Congress. It was an article in 2016. The author of it was Kate Santiago. And she states that uh, in Georgia, 1910, for example, more than 40% of white farmers were landowners compared to just a 7% of black farmers, while more than 50% of black farmers were sharecroppers. This meant that after the war, boom, Reconstruction Era, boom, 50% of African Americans in the South became sharecroppers. But this brings us to our next question, our next little shift in the podcast. If becoming a sharecropper led to little to no economic advantage, why did such a large percentage of uh, people basically partake in the process? And my answer is... The odds were stacked against those people who was basically left there after the war because where were they going to go? 
They had no education, no resources, no money. You know, they they just coming about being enslaved. They literally had nothing, and they knew little outside the world of their plantation. And so that basically led them to thinking, man, I've been, I watched my mama, you know, plow fields, basically be, do agricultural work. I've been doing agricultural work my whole life. I'm just going to continue doing this. So let me get this land right here and continue doing this agricultural work because that's basically what I've been doing my whole life. So the problem with that was that the uh, the restrictions and the taxing was so harsh that majority of the uh, African-Americans who became sharecroppers were in debt to the landowner. So that brings me to my next question. Why did they just run away? Why, you know, why didn't they just move to Harlem? That was a big movement back then. Well, if you was deep in the South, uh, they'll basically see a sharecropper skipping out on his death like any normal slave. You know, they'll send the slave catchers on you and they'll basically get on you. And you couldn't just, you know, walk walk around as a black person in the South in around 1910. It just wouldn't work. You'll be, you'll be touched. So this uh, little understanding and lack of education, basically all they knew was the agriculture work. They stayed there. They, they passed it down to their children. So their children also became sharecroppers. So how did this reconstruction of slavery lead to such a large wealth gap between, you know, black and white people today? And looking around to give insight on how much uh, power did sharecroppers have over their land, I found a novel called The Warmth of the Other Sons. It's a, a novel on Amazon, and I feel like a, a, yeah, a hard copy goes for like $15. And it's a real good novel. It basically tells the story of the Great Migration, primarily through three different accounts from very different backgrounds. And the one that I basically only read about was the one of the sharecropper, just to give me a sense of the conditions they felt and why was they in the situation they was in and the journey that they went through. And a quote, to give a uh, context of the quote, it was the protagonist, Ida Mae. She was a young girl who lived on a uh, sharecropper farm, you know, and the farm wasn't nice, none of that. And she tells how their landowner basically treated them. Right here, she stated, he was a drunk, he was drunk and a bad aim and never actually hit anybody as far as Ida Mae knew. No sheriff or police were ever called. There would have been no point in calling, and he so... And so the drunk farmer could go on shooting and scaring the Brandons and other colored people in the bottoms whenever he felt like it. Basically stating how those uh, African-American people who were tied to their land were also treated poorly because they had basically no rights, you feel me, in the South. So, and this was a really big comment in the economic, from an economic perspective. They was basically tied down to this depth and had nowhere to go. And every person of color living in the South would have had a story or some variety that would be similar to the one in this uh, novel. Even in South Carolina, uh, in the South, blacks had no rights and their lives were but playthings for the white population. This was made clear hour after hour, day after day, decade after decade, with the language, with the treatment on the streets, and with the violence and the lynching and with the KKK and all those fascist groups. So, to conclude, how did sharecropping basically create generational depth within African-American communities? 
by basically trapping them to a piece of land that their children inherited by being a law that basically didn't have no type of economical, I guess, movability, uh, you know? They basically was trapped there and they had nowhere to go, stuck, nothing to do, stuck in the south. Uh, thank you for the time. My name is Leo Jacobs. This has been a Cause and Effect podcast. And good night.